0: Welcome to Hence the Future podcast, I'm Matamor Cronin, and today we're discussing crypto wars, meaning the battles for dominance taking place both between cryptocurrencies and between the fiat monetary system and the new crypto economy as a whole. I've had a lot of friends ask me lately what I think about the future of this coin or that coin and where the crypto economy will go from here now that we're in a bear market. So the purpose of today's episode is to provide a nice overview of each of the top 14 largest cryptocurrencies by market cap, how they fit into this new crypto economy and how the crypto economy is likely to evolve in the near future relative to the fiat monetary system. But first, let's start with why we're in a bear market right now. In other words, why did the price of Bitcoin crash by over 50% just this past month? The first domino that really sparked this current bear market was a tweet from Elon Musk. On May 12, 2021, he tweeted, Tesla has suspended vehicle purchases using Bitcoin. We are concerned about rapidly increasing use of fossil fuels for Bitcoin mining and transactions, especially coal, which has the worst emissions of any fuel. Cryptocurrency is a good idea on many levels and we believe it has a promising future, but this cannot come at a great cost to the environment. Tesla will not be selling any Bitcoin and we intend to use it for transactions as soon as mining transitions to more sustainable energy. We are also looking at other cryptocurrencies that use less than 1% of Bitcoin's energy per transaction. Now, he tweeted this on May 12th when the price of Bitcoin was 55 k and by May 19th, the price of Bitcoin was 30 k So that's a pretty massive drop for Bitcoin. However, the price has dropped by much more in the past. So historically, it may not be that big of a drop as it first appears. It's also worth noting that right around this time, May 13th, the CDC announced that vaccinated Americans can go and gather without wearing a mask. So the CDC started to encourage people to return to normal life. Demand started to pick up for summer. People wanted to travel again. They wanted to spend time with friends, go to concerts, those sorts of things. And May 17th was tax day. So Americans needed to pay their taxes. So some of them probably had to sell some of their holdings in order to pay their taxes. Another domino is that May 22nd, China, which is the biggest Bitcoin mining country in the world, announced harsh penalties for Bitcoin miners. So a lot of these Bitcoin miners who were located in China sold their Bitcoin either because they wanted to get out out of the game, because they didn't want the Chinese Communist Party knocking on their door and giving them harsh penalties, or because they had plans to move their mining operation to other countries. And so they needed some liquidity so they could invest in their new mining operation. And i think this whole bear market really is aptly called a liquidation event because the price of bitcoin had gotten very high it got almost up to 65k and at this point people were really highly levered and they needed some liquidity and so they sold off the fundamentals haven't changed it was more of a psychological shift so now that we've laid out the dominoes that led to this current bear market let's put it in context There's a really useful chart that I'll share here on the video pod, which shows Bitcoin's historical corrections. And when you see the correction of 51% that took place in May 2021, it really isn't that big of a correction compared to other historic corrections. So in the summer of 2020, there was a 61% drop in Bitcoin's price. In 2018, there was an 84% correction in Bitcoin's price. And from 2016 to 2017, there was an 87% correction in Bitcoin's price. And also in 2013, there was an 83% correction. So really a 50% correction in May 2021 isn't that abnormal compared to what we've seen in the past. And I think Jason Calacanis really summarizes this well, where he says, quote, if you're a longtime Bitcoin trader, the typical crash has been between 50%, sometimes up to 80%. We are almost to 50% now, which is where I think this winds up for a while, 25 to 35K. That would be a massively high new floor if it stays there after the 3K and 6.5K bottom outs, I believe. So what Jason is saying is that we are now setting the new floor for the next bull market. So previously, 2016, 2017, the floor was 3K. That's what happened after the crash. In the more recent bear market, the floor was 6.5K per Bitcoin. So now we are setting the stage for the next bull market where the floor of Bitcoin price is about 25 to $35,000 per coin. Now let's look at some of the on-chain data to find out who is buying and who is selling during this current bear market. And with Bitcoin, you can't always know the identities of who's buying and who's selling, but you can see how long they've held their Bitcoin since the last transaction. And when we look at the on-chain data, we see pretty clearly that short-term holders have been selling and long-term holders have been accumulating during this bear market. In other words, weak hands, paper hands, have been selling to strong hands, to diamond hands. Another interesting indicator is that a lot of institutional capital has been getting in on Bitcoin during this bear market. People like Kevin O'Leary and Ray Dalio, who've been critics of Bitcoin for a long time, are now getting in in a big way. And a lot of millionaires, billionaires, big corporations are getting in on Bitcoin now that the price is more affordable. And at the same time, it's also interesting that we're seeing more wealthy individuals buying gold as well, which tends to be an indicator that inflation is expected to come in the near future. So it does seem like the wealthy individuals, the institutions, do see inflation as a real risk on the horizon, and they are both buying Bitcoin, buying gold, buying real estate, buying commodities, buying whatever they can before inflation reaches a tipping point. So what are my predictions for Bitcoin? Well, I'm going to stick with the prediction I made almost a year ago, which is that the price of a single Bitcoin will surpass 100K by the end of 2021. I think it's quite possible that it may go lower before then. So we may see the floor at 30K, the floor may be 25K, the floor may be as low as 20K. I do not predict the price of Bitcoin will drop below 20K before 2021 or really any time in the near future. And so after it bottoms out, I think it's going to go above 100K by the end of 2021. And eventually, I think the value of Bitcoin will surpass the total value of the U.S. bond market. Ray Dalio in a recent interview said, I'd rather have Bitcoin than a bond. And right now, the total value of Bitcoin is one trillion dollars by total market cap, whereas the value of all U.S. bonds is twenty three trillion dollars. So if Bitcoin becomes as big as the U.S. bond market, it would multiply by twenty three times. I think that is quite likely over the next 10 years. It's also worth noting that the thing that sparked this sell-off, Elon's tweets about Bitcoin's energy expenditure and environmental impact, have now been walked back by Elon himself. He tweeted on May 24th, spoke with North American Bitcoin miners. They committed to publish current and planned renewable usage and to ask miners to do so, potentially promising. He also tweeted, The true battle is between fiat and crypto. On balance, I support the latter. And he tweeted, Tesla has diamond hands. So it seems like Elon has rekindled his support, not only for cryptocurrencies in general, but also for Bitcoin. And part of that may be that China banning Bitcoin mining makes Bitcoin much more environmentally friendly than it was in the past. China gets a majority of their energy from coal, which is the most polluting of all the fuels, as Elon said in his tweet. And now when you remove that element of mining, most of the energy that is used to mine Bitcoin in the rest of the world is more sustainable. So the issue of Bitcoin sustainability and the environmental impact has been mitigated by the recent developments. I think it's also pretty obvious that more and more institutional capital, more millionaires, more billionaires will get in on Bitcoin as they see the end game of the current fiat dollar system. And I think for the next 100 years, Bitcoin will be valuable as digital gold. It's not going to be used to buy a coffee at your local coffee shop, but it will be used to store wealth long term until we have some crazy new development like super intelligent AI or quantum computers that can break any sort of encryption. It would take another black swan to displace Bitcoin, in my view. Now let's talk about the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap, Ethereum. And to be clear, Ethereum is the name for the blockchain, whereas Ether is the name for the currency. And Ethereum is the foundation for the decentralized Internet. It really is ground zero for all of the DeFi apps that we hear about. And anytime someone posts an NFT, a non-fungible token, they have to use Ether to pay the gas fees, to pay the fee in order to post something on the blockchain. And right now, Ethereum can only handle about 30 transactions per second. So most of the criticisms people have about the Ethereum blockchain is that it's expensive because it can't handle that many transactions. It's slow because it can't handle that many transactions. And that's because it relies on proof of work. Proof of work is the same thing Bitcoin relies on. And that means that in order to make any change to the blockchain, in order to post anything, you have to expend a tremendous amount of energy, which costs a lot of money and it costs some time. And this gives it security because in order to try to impose any changes on the network, in order to try to hack it or manipulate it in any way, you have to invest a lot of time, money and resources to make that happen. However, Ethereum right now is making a shift from proof of work to proof of stake. Proof of stake is a little bit different where it uses community consensus to move forward. And this is how they solve what's called the Byzantine general problem. So the Byzantine general problem is a thought experiment that explains what's going on in the blockchain world. So imagine you have a group of Byzantine generals and they're all surrounding a castle and the plan is for them to invade the castle. But they know they can only succeed if they all attack the castle at the same time. And they also know they have one traitor among them. The question is, how did they all coordinate and attack? knowing that they have one malicious actor that might spread misinformation, they might say they're going to do one thing and then they end up doing another, they might play different parties off of one another. How do you move forward with the attack in a reliable way? So other than proof of work, which basically requires them to expend lots of energy in order to make any changes to their strategy of attack, you could have proof of stake, which would almost be like requiring everyone to vote on the attack before any changes are made and this is what proof of stake is it requires all the nodes to vote on which version of ethereum to move forward with and there is a trade-off here you get less security when you change from proof of work to proof of stake but you also get much faster transactions much lower transaction costs which have been a big bottleneck for ethereum up until now And this shift from Ethereum 1.0 to Ethereum 2.0 is taking place right now. They've already released Ethereum 2.0 in beta, and it will roll out to all Ethereum users by the end of this year. And this is huge for the network. Ethereum 2.0, if it succeeds as planned, would have 100th the energy requirements as Ethereum 1.0, and it would speed up transaction speeds by 1000x. So this is really game-changing if it all goes well, Obviously, there is the risk of potentially less security. And there's a quote from Jack Dorsey, founder of Twitter, who says, less security, more centralization on proof of stake coins. Personally, I am very bullish on Ethereum, despite the proof of stake risk and the risk of pushing out new code to Ethereum 2.0. It's pretty clear Ethereum has a big lead on the other coins as far as creating the foundation for the decentralized Internet of the future. And recently I've allocated more to Ethereum relative to other crypto based on how impressive this whole decentralized Ethereum blockchain is becoming. I used to recommend 90% Bitcoin. 9% ETH and 1% other altcoins now I typically recommend 80% Bitcoin 18% ETH and 2% altcoins so I think that really is a good balanced portfolio although none of this is investment advice this is just how I like to think about crypto allocation and as far as predictions I predict that the price of one ETH will bottom out at around 1000 per coin and that in the next bull run it will rise above $8,000 per ETH by the end of 2021. So I'm super bullish on ETH. The only thing I'm more bullish on than ETH is Bitcoin. Now let's talk about Tether, the third largest crypto by market cap. Tether is what's known as a stable coin, meaning that it is pegged exactly to the US dollar. So one Tether will always be worth one US dollar. The question many people have is, why would I ever buy a stable coin? (laughs) Why wouldn't you just hold dollars or hold crypto? The answer is liquidity. If you have a plan to buy a lot of crypto perhaps once the next bear market occurs, you would want a lot of stable coins so you can immediately swoop in and buy the dip. You don't have to wait for bank transfers to happen from your fiat bank to your Bitcoin bank. You can just have a lot of stablecoin already ready there to go the only difference between regular dollars and stable coins is that stable coins are native to the blockchain they're easier to transact with on the blockchain you don't have to transition from a bank to the blockchain and no you cannot make money on investing in stablecoin you'll actually lose money over time to inflation so it's not really a good investment but it is a really useful utility it's also worth noting that tether may not end up being the dominant stablecoin, there's been a lot more competition in this space. So I have no firm opinion on whether Tether will be the dominant stablecoin for the long term, but it seems really clear there will be usefulness for stablecoins in general as the new crypto economy takes hold. Now let's talk about Cardano, which is either the fourth or fifth largest crypto by market cap. Cardano and Binance are both very close in market cap. So it might flip by the time you're listening to this. Cardano, also known as ADA, as the coin, is known as a third generation crypto, meaning Bitcoin was kind of the first generation, Ethereum was the second generation, and proponents of Cardano claim that it is more scalable, more secure, and more environmentally friendly than other types of cryptocurrencies. It's also unique in that it's the first blockchain to incorporate peer-reviewed research into its core principles. So it's kind of like a proof-of-stake system where they have a peer-review process to determine which version of the Cardano blockchain to move forward with. And it was actually created by a co-founder of Ethereum, Charles Hoskinson, who had a little bit of a falling out with Vitalik Buterin, who was the main founder of Ethereum, because... Charles Hoskinson wanted to create a for-profit entity, take on venture capital, do things his way, whereas Vitalik really wanted to keep it a non-profit, keep it more of an open source public project. And the downside to Cardano is that the peer review system of development may be slower than other systems of development. And personally, when I look at Cardano, I think it's quite unlikely that Cardano will be the next Ethereum, which some proponents of Cardano will say, I'm not so sure about this one. When I look at it and I look at the founder and I look at people who use it, I'm not that compelled. So it's not something personally that I'm gonna allocate assets to. The next crypto that is the largest in market cap, either the fourth or fifth, depending on which day you're looking, is Binance, BNB. Binance is unique in that it has one of the lowest transaction fees of all of crypto. So that helped fuel its adoption. Also, it is the native currency on the Binance exchange. So Binance exchange is the largest crypto exchange in the world. So whereas if you're in America, Coinbase is probably the one you're most familiar with. Worldwide, Binance is even bigger than Coinbase. And the founder of Binance, CZ Changpeng Zhao, and his Twitter handle is at CZ underscore Binance. He's got a huge following on Twitter. He's a really smart guy. I think his commentary is always really on point. And he's got a serious group of technologists behind him. He's got a serious community. So I would bet on him all day. I think Binance has a much greater chance of succeeding than Cardano. And my prediction is that BNB will reach $1,000 by the end of 2021. So I'm fairly bullish on Binance. The sixth largest crypto by market cap is Ripple, also called XRP, So Ripple is a blockchain and cryptocurrency that is designed to replace the current SWIFT money lending and money transfer system. So whereas other cryptocurrencies are more focused on peer to peer, Ripple is really focused on disrupting the institutional mechanism by which money is transferred from one entity to another. And it really rocketed to fame by celebrity endorsers like Ashton Kutcher who famously went on The Ellen Show with Ellen DeGeneres and gave her $4 million worth of XRP for the charity of her choice, the World Wildlife Foundation. And currently they're under investigation by the SEC because they consider XRP to be a security rather than a currency. And this is a really important distinction because unlike Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Dogecoin that had a fair launch, meaning they didn't create any Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogecoin, before they launched, they literally launched, and then the only way to obtain it was by mining the coin. That is what's known as a fair launch. But XRP, Ripple, did not have a fair launch. Instead, when Ripple launched in 2013, they just created 100 billion XRP coins sort of out of nothing, and they gave some to investors, they gave some to celebrities, and very few of those 100 billion Ripple coins are currently in circulation. Personally, I think XRP is worthless, I think it's going to fall to near zero i think by the end of 2021 it's not even going to be in the top 10 list of largest crypto so personally i'm steering clear of ripple xrp you can make your own assessment there all right now let's talk about the seventh largest crypto by market cap dogecoin i did a whole episode on dogecoin just the past few weeks so you should listen to that if you want to get the full scoop but at a high level i was very skeptical about dogecoin initially But once I looked into it and saw that it did have a fair launch, that it is truly decentralized, and that the founders seemed to do it for the right reasons. They created it as a joke, but none of them profited off of it. And in fact, the founders distanced themselves from the project when they saw people got too into the price of Dogecoin. So it really was created for the pure intention of a good joke. And that is a certain factor that I think is really hard to recreate. So I think Dogecoin will continue to be the most fun of the cryptocurrencies. It's got the huge meme factor. People love dogs. Elon Musk is really behind it. So I would bet on Dogecoin all day compared to the other altcoins. Obviously, I don't think it's as good of a bet as Bitcoin or Ethereum, but compared to the other Altcoins, Dogecoin has a great community. It's that same sort of Redditor, Wall Street bet community. They've got Elon pushing it. They've got some improvements on the horizon. So it may end up being the best crypto for transactions just for everyday people accepting it at their coffee shop or whatever else. And I think because the meme has already been set of Doge to a dollar, I believe it is now inevitable that Dogecoin will rise above one dollar probably by the end of 2021 the eighth largest crypto by market cap is usdc this is a stable coin just like tether not much to say because i think stablecoin is really just a useful thing to have and whichever stable coin wins out i don't really care much either way i would never invest in a stable coin just like i wouldn't invest in the us dollar but it's worth noting that usdc the eighth largest crypto by market cap does seem to be growing at a faster pace than tether so all else being equal, I think it's unlikely Tether will continue to be the dominant stablecoin. Now let's talk about the ninth largest crypto by market cap, Polkadot. This one is interesting because rather than one blockchain that all the nodes work within, Polkadot allows individuals to run their own blockchain. And then these individual blockchains interoperate with one another. And the mini blockchains are called parachains. I don't know enough about Polkadot to say whether it will go to the moon or go to zero. But I am much more intrigued by Polkadot than I am of Cardano. And I probably will allocate some small amount just for the massive upside if it does become the dominant decentralized blockchain system. The 10th largest crypto by market cap is Uniswap. Uniswap is kind of like a stable coin in that the whole purpose is for transferring one type of crypto asset to another. But the cool thing about Uniswap is that it is a protocol. It's not a currency in its own right. It's a way for you to transfer Bitcoin to Ethereum or Ethereum to a stable coin. You use the Uniswap protocol to do that. So clearly this is a really useful mechanism. It's not something that's going to be some crazy, amazing investment like some of the other coins, but I do think it's going to stick around for a while. The 11th largest crypto by market cap is the one my brother keeps talking about, Internet Computer. Internet Computer, ICP, is the newest crypto on this list. It debuted in May 10th, 2021 by British computer scientist Dominic Williams. And whereas other crypto are mostly focused on finance, on replacing the centralized finance system with a decentralized finance system. Internet computer is more broad in its ambitions. Internet computer enables, quote, infinite blockchains through its protocol and its native currency, ICP. So similar to Polkadot, ICP is going beyond just the financial world into creating a blockchain version of everything we do in our digital lives. So imagine, for example, social media, where rather than having some centralized company like Facebook or Twitter or Google that you have to go through in order to post anything to your social, you could just immediately post to social media through your own blockchain. And similarly for the news, you could post news information on a blockchain and you don't have to go through any centralized entity. So I think there is tons of potential for a cryptocurrency and blockchain like internet computer. Whether internet computer is the one that has the most robust code that becomes the dominant player, I don't know. The 12th largest crypto by market cap is Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Cash is an old fork in the Bitcoin network. And in my opinion, there's no real reason to invest in it. And there's no real reason why it should even be in the top 15 crypto. Other than that, many of the Wall Street Bets people, the Redditors, they have decided to invest in Bitcoin cash simply because it's cheaper than Bitcoin. And they were trying to pump it up, pump the price up. But as as far as fundamentals, Bitcoin Cash is nowhere near as solid as Bitcoin itself. So I would ignore Bitcoin Cash personally. I, I am ignoring it. And my prediction is that by the end of 2021, Bitcoin Cash will no longer be in the top 12 cryptocurrencies by market cap. The 13th largest crypto by market cap is Chainlink. Chainlink is a blockchain specifically focused on smart contracts. And I think ultimately smart contracts will replace much of our current legal system. So right now, you create a contract, and then if there's a dispute, you have to go to court. And normally, the person who has more money will win. On the contrary, a smart contract system pays out programmatically. So for instance, let's say I buy insurance for rain and flood, and I'm in some part of the country that gets a lot of rain and a lot of flooding, I can have a contract so that if there's a certain amount of precipitation in my neighborhood per year, I automatically get paid out by my insurance company. So you are disintermediating any need. to have a trusted entity overseeing a contract. Rather, you have mathematics overseeing a contract. So I am super bullish on smart contracts as a concept, and it seems like Chainlink is the best crypto for that space. However, it may not end up being the dominant player the space is evolving so quickly that there could be a new, better cryptocurrency and blockchain to handle smart contracts. So personally, I do hold some chain link because the upside is massive and the downside is fixed. Uh, you can make your own decision there. And the final crypto that I'll mention, the 15th largest crypto by market cap is Litecoin. Litecoin is one of the older cryptos, and it was originally supposed to be a faster, less energy intensive, smaller file size version of Bitcoin. And it's really similar to Dogecoin. Dogecoin actually forked off of Litecoin. However, since then, Dogecoin has surpassed Litecoin. And my prediction is that that trend will continue. Dogecoin will continue to get more and more adoption, whereas Litecoin will fall further and further behind because Dogecoin has a much better meme angle and the fundamentals are pretty similar. And so I I suspect that Litecoin will no longer be in the top 15 largest cryptos by market cap by the end of 2021. Now let's get into the future scenarios. Let's talk about the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. For the worst case scenario, I think it's worthwhile to look at the psychology of market cycles. So typically what will happen is there's the initial takeoff, which is called the stealth phase. People don't quite know how big this is going to get. Then there's the awareness phase where some people start to learn about it. There might be a bear trap there, which is an initial sell off. People think, oh, it's already gotten the gains that it will get. Then there's the mania phase where it really reaches a certain height. This is when it's all in the news. You've got your Uber drivers talking about it. Your barber is talking about it. And then you get the bull trap where it'll dip. And that's when people think, oh, it just dipped slightly. Now it's going back up. And But then you have yet another drop. And that's when it massively drops. You hit a well of despair in the blow-off phase. And then finally you return to the mean. So it's just worth reminding ourselves of the psychology of these cycles and why they tend to occur in the way that they do. So in the worst case, we are at the bull trap phase, meaning it will still drop further from here. The price of Bitcoin may drop below 30,000, may drop to 20,000, potentially it could drop even lower. And I think the worst thing for individuals to do during this time is to panic, to panic sell and to get out of your holdings. Because right now, institutional capital, wealthy individuals, they are buying into the market right now. So if you as an individual citizen are selling your holdings and then some institutional capital is swooping that up, that's obviously a bad scenario for the individual. Another bad scenario that is possible is that Congress passes a crypto tax. Now, I don't know how likely this is, but I do think it's possible that Congress could pass something like 10% tax on all crypto purchases and sales above and beyond the taxes you already have to pay for capital gains and what gets taken out of your income. However, because so much institutional capital and so many wealthy individuals are getting in on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, I think it's really unlikely that they would tax it by more than 10%. And lastly, let's talk briefly about the CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency. So recently, the U.S. government announced that it would be releasing an exploratory paper about a potential central bank digital currency this summer. Now, some people think, oh, it's all over. The central bank digital currency, that's going to take up all the crypto energy and all of these individual coins they're done for. However, the central bank digital currency would not have any of the important qualities of a decentralized currency. The whole point of decentralized cryptocurrencies is that they're not beholden to the control and manipulation of any one party. So a central bank digital currency, by definition, is not decentralized. Therefore, it's unclear what the use for it is at all, other than that it can transact more readily on the blockchain. And Naval Ravikant has a good tweet about this where he says, quote, a central bank digital currency, a CBDC, is the opposite of a cryptocurrency. It is the complete centralization of money with no intermediary banks or monetary instruments under the all-seeing state. So one worst case scenario is that the CBDC gobbles up all of the other intermediaries, all the banks, and they exert even more control. But given that there are already alternatives, there is Bitcoin, there are other cryptocurrencies, I think the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think it's possible for the U.S. government or anyone else for that matter to kill Bitcoin at this juncture. Now let's talk about the best case, scenario. best case scenario. The best case scenario is happening right now. It's that you buy the dip, whoever else has always wanted to buy, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogecoin or anything else, you can buy it right now at a discount. And Chris Bernisky tweeted, every crypto asset you regretted not buying is giving you another chance. This is a really important point. I think when a lot of people see that they bought Bitcoin and then they see the price go down, they fall into despair and they think, oh, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I bought in at 55K and now it's 30K. Whereas a wise person will think, oh great, I bought in, I've accumulated this amount and now I can buy more at a discount so I can get to my accumulation goal sooner and with less upfront money that I need to invest. The other thing worth noting in the best case scenario is that we are currently only at 1% global adoption for crypto. And even though the price of many cryptocurrencies has gone down, the transaction flow into the crypto economy has been ramping up. So I think in the best case, many people will buy the dip. Many people will secure some financial independence for themselves before the inflation tipping point is reached. And in the best case, the US government actually supports the evolution of the decentralized crypto economy because that makes any independent democracies who value freedom more competitive than centralized authoritarian countries that do not value freedom and that have actually banned Bitcoin like China. So in the best case, this new paradigm shift that's about to take place could set the stage for the next 80 years of prosperity beyond what any of us thought would be possible. All right. Now let's talk about the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. The most likely scenario is that the crypto economy will replace the current economy. It seems so incredibly obvious that you cannot put the genie back in the bottle. Once people realize there is a technically feasible way to do away with central banks, with with any types of banks, why would they go back? Every person I've ever talked to who has started to dip their toe into the crypto world does not want to go back to the fiat world. Why would you? And Edward Snowden has a tweet that's relevant right now where he says, $6 trillion? This is good for Bitcoin. And he's, of course, referring to the $6 trillion budget that the Biden administration just announced. So, because the government keeps printing money, keeps spending all of this money on social programs, many of which are important, I'm not saying they're not important, but because of all of this money being added to the system, it is inevitable that people will want to hedge against that system by putting their money into decentralized assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And even if the government did stop spending all this money and they started to really value sound money policies, I still don't think it's possible that you can go back from the transition that's already gotten started. Balaji summarizes what's going on on a macro scale really well. He says, The long-term thesis for crypto remains unchanged. Inflation, decentralization, privacy, programmability, seizure resistance, and censorship resistance, these are the secular drivers of adoption. And Tyler Winklevoss says, The only two mistakes you can make with Bitcoin over the next decade is one, not buying enough and two, selling at any point in time. So really the game is accumulate, hold, wait for the new economy to emerge. And the final predictions I'll make in the most likely scenario is that creating a decentralized version of our financial system is only the beginning. After finance and venture capital have been decentralized on the blockchain, social media will be the next trend there's already been some decentralized social media apps that have emerged i think it's quite likely that one of them will become really mainstream in the next year and potentially threaten social media companies like facebook google twitter in fact some of these tech companies are now investing in blockchain experts to create their own decentralized social media product Apple put out a job post looking for a blockchain expert to potentially create a decentralized social media app right on your iPhone or a decentralized finance application right on your iPhone. Coinbase also announced Coinbase Fact Check, which is their way of combating misinformation by actually publishing facts in their blog and on the blockchain. So there is a ground layer zero of truth that's being created on the blockchain that is going to render many media companies, whether it's traditional news media or social media, completely irrelevant. And I'll end it with a quote from Warren Buffett, even though he is a Bitcoin critic. He says, predicting rain doesn't count, building arcs does. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll we'll see you next week.